All right, I want you to open up your Bibles, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, as we get ready to give this morning. And I want to ask you this question. When you approached God, church, religion, whatever the category, whatever language or label we want to put on it, do you primarily see God as a taker or as a giver? It's a good question, isn't it? Is God a taker or is God a giver? And let me, let me ask you why this is so important. Some people believe that when they give their life to Jesus, that that means they have to give everything to God, all the things they love and all, and, and basically God's taking everything from them. In fact, some people think God is a big cosmic killjoy and that, you know, we just have to suck it up because who wants to go to hell, right? So we'll suck it up now, we'll have no fun, and then someday we'll go to heaven and supposedly that's supposed to be fun. But no one's really excited about that either. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? It's almost like when we come to the Lord that we assume he's a God who's constantly taking things away from us and making us less instead of making us more. And I just want to, we're going to hit on that this morning really big as we, as we launch into this series on gifts. But look with me on the verse on the screen, 2 Corinthians 9, verse, verses 6 through 8. Paul says, remember this, which in other words, this is very important. Remember this. Think about this. Keep reminding yourself about this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. You plant just a little bit of seed, you get a little harvest. You plant a lot of seed, you get more harvest. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide, this is important, decide in your heart how much you're going to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. And let me pause right there because the way God tells us to give is the way God gives. I want you to think about this for a minute. How many of you know when God gives something to us, he doesn't do it reluctantly? Oh, I guess I'll bless Tim. I really don't want to, but I'll, I guess I'll bless him a little bit. And he tosses a little bone Tim's way like, he, like he's reluctant. And how many of you know when God gives, he's not pressured by anyone or anything because he's God. He's absolutely free in his gift giving. He doesn't give out of any other reason other than that he wants to. Does this make sense? So the Lord says to us, don't give reluctantly like, oh, you're holding back. And don't give um, in a sense of... Um, uh, out of compulsion or pressure. And I just want you all to know here, if you're new at this church, if you ever feel pressure from what I'm saying, come talk to me because we're not about manipulating people. We're not about pressuring people. We want our giving to flow out of hearts that have been transformed by Jesus. And we want to give because we want to. And we want to give joyfully and not because we're pressured to. So I give anybody permission to pull the lever on that and say time out because that's never ever our intent because that's just not how God is. Look at what it says. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Why? Because God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all you need. How many of you believe that? God will generously, not, not stingy again, generously provide all you need. I mean, we got, this is a promise to us as God's people. Here's why though. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Now, we're going to talk about the nature of God today because the nature of God is to give. And that's not something we should just go, yeah, I knew that. No, this is something we should stand in awe of because that's not the way God's false gods are at all. But the nature of God is to give. And the reason that he wants to provide for all your needs, and check it out, and then some, is not so we can hoard it, but so that we can be givers like God is. Isn't this beautiful? So the, the, the purpose of prosperity is so you can be a giver and so that God could meet people's needs through you. And I share this over and over again. God cannot meet the needs of his mission if God does not first bless his people. Does that make sense? In other words, it's like the well that's going here. The pump needs to be primed. God pumps the, primes the well with who he is. But once we receive that water that's coming out, our job is to drink for ourselves because God wants to meet our needs. But then he gives us more than enough to go hand out some cups of cold water to other people. And that's what it means to be generous. That's what it means to have faith. And so when we, when we have this moment, I want you to see this is a moment of worship. It's not just a ritual. It's a moment of worship. It's, it's us taking what God has entrusted us with and giving it as an act of worship. And notice how you give. You give it cheerfully. You give it with expectation because you're believing God to meet your needs. And listen, this is where it gets really exciting. 
You're believing for supernatural increase so that you can bless somebody else. In other words, the intent of all the blessing is it's going to go out of your hand and it's going to touch somebody else's life. Isn't that exciting? And God says if you'll live that way, he'll always give you more than enough. If you live this way, he will always give you more than enough. So let's be happy, cheerful, and expectant. Amen? I want to pray for you. Father, thank you for these amazing people. I ask you now as we sow. You, you gave us the illustration of seed. We didn't make that up. You, you gave us the illustration of seed. Our gifts, our tithes, our offerings, our first fruit, it's like seed. We're sowing it into your kingdom right now. We're, we're giving it away. It's leaving our hands. It's going into, into your mission, your kingdom. And Lord, we're asking you to bring a, a great harvest so that not only our family's needs can be met, but we can bless lots of other people in lots of other places. So Lord, according to your word, we just thank you for that now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. While you're doing that, let me multitask here. Um, this Sunday, you know, every week, I told you at Living Stones, as we're ramping up to summer mission, we got a lot of people going a lot of different places. This is the week for Nick and Shay. Nick and Shay are going to Mongolia. They're going to be heading out uh, in June. And all of the uh, stuff that's in the cafe, all the proceeds, all the donations that come from that are all going to Nick and Shay today. So let's make sure we bless them. And then go to the next slide. We have Brent and Joslyn. Uh, we're going to be having a grab-and-go for the Burnettes next week. Now, Brent and Joslyn were at, or Joslyn, I think, is at the Women's Encounter. Brent was here first service. Here's what's happening. Right now, Clay and Anita Brooks are in Cambodia uh, providing some senior leadership for the young team that's there. Uh, Brent and Joslyn are going for two months, and I, and I want you to hear this. You know, Brent runs his own business. Brent is setting his business aside for two months. How many know that's a step of faith? so that both of them can go love on the team, serve the team. So there's a great sacrifice he's making on behalf of Living Stones, on behalf of the team that's there. But how many of you know sacrifices that are done for the glory of God, you can't outgive God? How many of you really believe that? So here's the deal. Now here's what I love. Brian is cooking next week. So if I, if I go on a mission trip, will you cook for me? That's what I want to know. Because if you've ever had Big B's food, it's amazing, all right? But here's what I love about you guys and what God's showing you about generosity. You're cooking and you're, you're buying all the stuff for the, to feed us next week, but you're buying all that, and that's your donation, which is a generous donation because this is a big family to feed, all right? I'm feeding 10 of us at our family. This is a big, much bigger family, all right? So you're investing in them, and, uh, and that means that for an $8 donation next week, you can eat some amazing food. What, what are we doing? We're, yeah, we're, yeah, we're doing chips. All right, just talk to my yeah, cheek. We're, we're doing chips, baked beans. <laughs> whole pork and you'll get a cookie with that plate so that's and a cookie, yeah. and a cookie. And a cookie. you can't get a mcdonald's value meal for what we're going to have next week and here's the cool part all of that eight dollars goes to the burnettes all of it because how many of you know we want to buy a round trip ticket because we want them back we don't want to just buy a one-way ticket so if some of you don't eat they might be there for a long time we don't want that to happen all right we want to bring them back all right, so anyway, very, very exciting, and we appreciate your guys' generosity. All right, let's open up our Bibles to James chapter 1 today, and I am going to launch into a series that I'm really, really excited about. Pastor, why are you excited? I'm glad that you guys asked me. All right, here's why I'm so excited. I have learned the hard way many times that God has gifted us all in an amazingly unique way. We're going to get into that really deep next week. But here's what I found out. Many times God surrounds you with people who are not like you. How many of you find that? And the purpose of that is not to irritate us, but to complete us. But if you don't understand and appreciate the gift set somebody else has, they will irritate you. And in church, it happens all the time. Let me say that again. In church, it happens all the time. So why is your pastor preaching this series? Because I want us to be happy. And I want us, when pastor says, hey, let's greet one another, I want you to be able to understand, first of all, who you are, and I want you to be able to appreciate who others are, because this place is a treasure trove of gifts. And what I have found is that many times the people who rub me the wrong way the most are the people I need the most. Let me share, first of all share how this works. The first way it works is called marriage. 
Isn't it a phenomenal thing that the people we get attracted to are people who are different than us? And then instead of saying, thank you, you're here to complete me and to fulfill all of my deficiencies and weaknesses. No, we don't act that way, do we? We go, ah! When really what we should be saying is, thank you, Lord, for this amazing gift you have put in my spouse that is so different than what you put in me. Because if you put the same in both of us, one of us would be unnecessary. And here's the thing, too. When you see different people ministering in the grace of God on their lives, you see the beauty of God and the grace of God and the, and the wisdom of God being manifested. So here's what should be happening. Every week when we come into church, we should be in awe of each other. It's like, oh, oh, oh. I mean, seriously, if we could see properly, we would be stunned. And if we understood the basis of where our gifts and stuff come from, we would be completely secure, and we wouldn't compare ourselves with other people. Instead, we would go, thank God for you. Thank God for you. And we wouldn't try to be something that we're not. We would figure out who we are, and then we'd be happy being our bad selves. Or you know what I'm talking about? So this series is so, so, so important. And I thought even before we get into gifts, isn't it fitting that we would like stop and focus today on a God who demonstrates his glory and that he's a giver? Now, I just want to share something with you, and I, I'm grateful for my wife, and I'm learning in my more mature years to run things by her. I learned the hard way of many, many things. Had a few bumps and bruises along the way. I read a passage out of this amazing book, which uh, is called The Twilight Labyrinth by George Otis Jr. It's not a new book. It's been out for a while. But this is the thesis. This is, this is the purpose of this book. It asks this question. Why does spiritual darkness linger where it does? In other words, why are there certain places on planet Earth that have been especially resistant to the preaching of the good news of the gospel? And what he highlights in here is a lot of instances of idolatry, witchcraft, and demonic things that are happening in the nations of the world where the gospel is so resistant, or the people are so resistant. And I won't read the, the story in here because my wife said that's probably a little graphic for Sunday, but let me tell you why I wanted to read it, because I wanted to shock you. Sometimes shock is good. If I said here, hey, God's a giver, you'd go be like, yeah, cool. And it's like, no, we don't even get it. Do you know that every religion that is not centered in the truth of Jesus Christ and in, and in our great almighty God, every one of those religions is demonic? Okay, first politically incorrect thing I just shared today. I'm telling you, if it's not Christianity rooted in the gospel, it's a lie from the pit of hell and it's destroying people, and its root is demonic. We clear enough on that? Let me build my case. You know, I'm reading this week through Joshua, and I got into Joshua 10, Joshua 11. It's when the children of Israel are moving in to take possession of the land God promised them, and God was very clear. He said, when you go into that city, wipe everybody out. That makes people today like, what kind of God is that? Well, let me, let me tell you what kind of God it is. It's a holy God, and it's a God who loves people, and it's a God who understands that when you worship demons, demons don't bless you and give to you. Demons rob and kill and steal and destroy from you, and the story I was going to read from you happened as late as in the 1960s when there was a massive tsunami wave that came on shore in the nation of Chile, and the people ran for their lives up to some higher ground. And then the second tsunami wave came in. And because they believe that, that God, their, their spirit gods control that, the, you know, their, the place where they live, the goal of every demon god is to demand that you offer sacrifice to appease them and make them happy. So they grabbed a shepherd boy. They proceeded to chop his arms and legs off while he cried out for mercy. They began chanting these demonic chants and singing louder and louder so that, so that you couldn't hear the screams of this young boy who was being sacrificed. They cut his heart out. They cut his intestines out. They threw it into the ocean, and they put the, the, what was left of his body on a stake, stuck it in the ground uh, facing the sea, and gave that child as a sacrifice to the demon gods that they believed were trying to kill them. This happens 
in nations all over the world and has been happening for millennia. This is the behavior that happens in all those ites that are talked about in the Bible that the children of Israel went in to take possession. And let me just tell you something. When we're living in a culture today that does not believe in truth any longer, truth is whatever you want it to be, when we're living in a culture today that embraces religious pluralism as is captured by the coexist bumper sticker, which basically says, who am I to judge another culture? Who am I to suggest that what we believe is the truth? Who am I to suggest that our way is the right way? If we, if, if we embrace that kind of thinking, we're just opening our minds to all kinds of demonic garbage. Because here's the truth. In re- false religions all across the globe, even now, There's the offering of children. There's the offering of all kinds of things in the name of their God to appease their bloodthirsty gods who are never satisfied. When I tell you today that God is not like that, that our God is not a taker but a giver, that our God is a God who enhances your life, blesses your life, and sets you free, I'm telling you that our God is set apart from every other counterfeit, would-be, fake, demonic deity that people all over the world are worshiping. And, and we need to get it because I'm getting ready to do a series on gifted and what I'm trying to tell you is it's the very nature the burning center of who God is to bless and to give out of the overflow of who he is and no other God is like this Every other God is bloodthirsty. Every other God demands something. I go to India, I see Shiva, all these wicked Hindu demonic deities, and every one of them wants something, costs you something. That's why I'm telling you the good news of the gospel. God's not asking for anything from you. God has paid the price. God is inviting you to celebrate. God is inviting you to be the recipient of gifts. That's our God. This is great news. Listen to what the Bible says, James chapter 1. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down. Notice the description here of God. From the Father of lights. Where do all the gifts that we enjoy in this life come from? I'll tell you where. If they're good and if they're perfect, they come from one source. From your heavenly Father. Not the God that we stand and tremble for, that we have to make sure we choose something to please him. We walk on eggshells. No, we're coming before the God that, the, that James said here, the God who we call daddy. There are no daddy gods among the demon false gods. But we have a father God, an Abba Father, that we come to who is a giver of gifts. What an amazing, what, I'm telling you, I've been meditating on this all week. This is who he is. He, by nature, is a gift giver. All right, I'm going to drive it home again. Point number one. False gods take, the true God gives. John chapter 10, verse 10. A thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal slaughter, and destroy. That's what every demon false god does. They steal, they slaughter, they destroy. But I have come to give you, everybody say give you. Give you everything in abundance. Second Peter 1.3 says that God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness in Christ Jesus. God has given us, given us as a free act of his will, everything in abundance, more than you can expect, Life in its fullness until you overflow. Oh, this is so good. How do you know that you have something in fullness? I'll tell you why. Because it overflows from you. You say, how do you you know that you love God? Because you love others. Why? Because the love of God overflows out to other people. How do you know you have joy in your heart? Because you're telling other people about how excited you are. Why? Because joy by nature wants to overflow. Y'all hear what I'm saying? How do you know you have faith in your heart? Because faith, when you're full of faith, you begin to move in faith and speak in faith and act in faith, and you begin to encourage others. See, whatever we're full of, we know that we're full of it because it overflows from us. The same thing works on the negative. How do you know you're full of unbelief? Because you're whining all the time. How do you know you're full of fear? Because you're afraid to move and you're afraid to act. You're full of it. You overflow. People are impacted around you by the spirit within you. When you are full of God by nature, God is a being who is so full of greatness that he overflows by nature. 
And that, listen to me, the overflowing of God is the reason why you and I get gifted. Because God has so much to give, he can't keep it all to himself. Because he's amazing. And by nature, he overflows to other people. Look at what it says, and this is stunning, Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4. For since the world began, no ear has ever heard, no eye has ever seen. What? A God like you. Check this out. What separates our God from all the fakes? This God works for those who wait for him. I mean, you know, the Bible is full of idols, and, and the prophets would mock the idols. They'd say, oh, you can't walk. That's right, you don't have legs. You have to be carried. Oh, you can't talk. Okay, we'll talk for you. Oh, you can't hear because you're a chunk of stone. Uh, they constantly mocked all these stupid idols that God's people fell into worshiping. God says this, you don't work for me. I work for you. Now, that, that is so counterintuitive. It sounds like I just said God exists to, to, to serve me, and he's my servant. That's not what I'm saying. God works for those who wait for him. What does that mean? For those who aren't trying to do it all themselves. For those who aren't running ahead of God. For those who aren't prideful. For those who sit in God's presence. For those who pray about situations. For, for those who wait on the Lord's direction. But here's the important thing. God says, I will work for you. I will go ahead of you. I will move on your behalf. I will clear the way. God is a God who works for those who wait for him. In other words, he does all the heavy lifting. You know, I was challenging some men this morning. There are guys who say, I got to provide for my family. That's a good thing to provide for your family. But there are men who, I want to go work doubles and triples and seven days a week and on and on and on. Listen to what the word of the Lord says. God will work for you on behalf of you if you'll wait for him, if you'll honor him, if you'll trust him, if you'll submit to him. God will work on your behalf. And I found this with money. There are people, we can't afford to give. God will do more with your 90% than you'll ever accomplish with your 100%. If you'll honor him, he'll work for you. He'll work for you. He'll work for you. Pastor, are you making this up? That's in the Bible. See it right there. He works for those. This separates God from every demon. Every demon says, I'll take from you. I'll take from you. I'm a slave master. I'll make you work, 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 work. Religion tells you work, 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 work. Get on the treadmill of good works. God says, get off the treadmill. Let me carry the ball. Let me do all the heavy lifting. Wait for me. Honor me. Trust me. This is what separates God from all the fake gods that gods are always trying to take from us, rob from us. The false gods expect us to work for them. But this is beautiful. I love this about God. Our God is self-sufficient. He doesn't need anything. He invites us to partner with him. Some of you say, well, pastor, how come you're talking about gifts? And I thought our gifts were to serve the Lord. Listen, if your gift is misused, you'll use your gift to work for God. God doesn't want you to work for him. He wants to work with him so that you, he can re- release his gifting through you to bless other people. I mean, you know, there's a big difference between partnering with God and working for God. You'll never see a church with a help-wanted sign out front because God's not looking for workers. God's not looking for slaves. God's not looking for laborers. God's looking for sons and daughters who will wait on him and work with him and let God work through them. There's a humongous difference in this whole situation. Look at what Jesus says. Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. Hold on. Jesus is going to say something really good. I'm wetting wetting your appetite. I love this phrase that I picked up reading. Patients don't serve their physicians. You know, when I go see my brother-in-law, Dr. Brent, or my wonderful niece, Brittany. I did not walk in there and say, I'm here today to help you. No, the reason I'm going there is because I'm usually not feeling well. I'm sick. I'm broken. I need help. You with me? Can I just pop everybody's bubble? You can't even be a part of Christ's church until you admit that you're sick and broken and undone. There's no perfect people here, just sick people. You remember when Jesus talked to the Pharisees? The Pharisees were challenging Jesus. Oh, you know, being all stupid and everything. They were good at that. And Jesus said this. Oh, I'm not here for you guys. I'm only here for sick people. Jesus was being so sarcastic. 
Because they were as sick as could be. They were religious sickos. The rest of us are just regular sickos. They were religious sickos. But Jesus said, oh, I'm not here for you guys. I'm only here. I'm a physician. I'm here for sick people. How many of you know the physician is in the place of strength because the physician is giving the sick person something that they need to get better? How do we come to the Lord? Yeah, look at me. I'm superwoman or superman with all my gifts. Oh, no, 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 that's not going to work. You come sick. And you say, Jesus, I'd love to surrender to you so I could be healed and so you, your gifts could flow through me so I can bring healing to other people. Remember, he's always the physician. We're the ones visiting the doctor's office and releasing the goods to everybody else so they can get well too. Point number two, God's gift. This is all good. God's gift come to us from the overflow of his greatness. Now, when you think of overflow, I want you to think of the words like fullness. I want you to think of the word self-sufficient. Because this is what the Bible says. It's one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Acts chapter 17, verse 25. God Almighty supplies life and breath and all things to every living being. Now, in marriage class, we teach stuff like this. Don't use the words all and every. You always say that. Every time you, you know, I mean, you know, that's suicide right there. You don't talk that way. But when we talk about God, all and every's and always and all those kinds of words, they fit God. Because listen to what it's saying about who God is. God supplies life, breath, all things to every living being. I mean, you know, that covers everything. He doesn't lack a thing that we mortals could supply for him. For he has all things. Everybody say all things. And God has everything that he needs. Can we all just exhale? Can I just help you out? We're not here to be slave or part-time help for God. We're not here because we're God's gift to the body of Christ. Lord, I'm now here. I know that the church is going to thrive now. No problem. I got it covered. I'm glad you created me. Aren't I wonderful? No, that's not the way things work in the church. This is humbling and exciting all at the same time. God doesn't need you. Lord, I've wasted so many years. Chill out. The kingdom's in good shape. And so what if you wasted years? Your life, the Bible says, is this long compared to eternity. So quit making so much about yourself. If God saved you on your last breath, you have eternity to maximize the gifts he's deposited in you. So chill out. We're not that important. Dang, I wish I was more important. Well, that's kind of the good news and the bad news, but isn't it liberating? This is liberating. You're not here because the children's ministry needs somebody to work with three-year-olds. Where have you been? Hurry up, sign up. We need you. No. We'd love for you to exercise your gifting in children's ministry if that's your passion and you want to release blessing to our kids for the glory of God. Hallelujah. We know you're out there. We just want to activate what's in you. But God doesn't need you. And God doesn't lack anything. We're not bringing something to him to help him out. Because he's awesome. Let me just tell you, this is the fun part of this. Would you want to worship a God who was pathetic? Let me ask you, would you want to worship a God who needed me? Like God and Pastor Ron, we're good. No, we're not good. If I'm even in the equation, we're not good. And if you're in the equation, we're not good either, so chill out, all right? I'm I'm helping you out. I'm an equal opportunity offender this morning. So let me ask you a question. I've preached on this before, but it bears good review. So when we come to church on Sunday, what does God want from us? I'm coming and I'm going to serve the Lord. I've been serving the Lord. I've been a deacon at that church for 50 years. Hallelujah. I don't know where they'd be. No, no, no. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. (laughs) What does God want from us? One thing. Ready for this? This is so good. Your enjoyment of how great he is. Guys, I'm going to help you out right here. If I go up to my wife and I give her for Mother's Day the gift of enjoyment, this is what it looks like. 
I am so incredibly glad I get to do life with you. You bring me such joy. I wouldn't have done it any other way. I'd say I do all over again. I'd ask you all over again. I'm having so much fun just being with you. You can throw your, you can throw your roses in the trash. You don't have to go out and drop a million dollars on some fancy dinner. Listen, because enjoying somebody is the purest form of honor. Enjoying somebody. So here's what we do. We don't come here on Sunday. Oh, God, I need you to fix this. I need you to. He can handle all that. Can you get first things first? What are you here for? Because, God, I just want to tell you I love you. I enjoy you. I am so glad you're my God. I'm so glad I know you. Thank you for your grace and your. What are you doing? What, what is worship? It's the enjoyment of God. Some people say, I come to church late. I just don't like all that singing. You're missing out on the kissing. It's like you go to your wife. Oh, I don't, you know, I'm not in all the kissing stuff. No, no, no. Are you nuts? That's why we got married. That's what separates marriage from non-marriage, kissing and stuff. That's what separates marriage from non-marriage. So we come to church, but we're all like, you know, no, no, no. No, are you kidding me? The one thing God wants, the one thing we bring to him on Sunday is our passionate heart telling him we love him, we enjoy him, we love following him, we love being in in partnership with him. That's what he wants. Everything else he doesn't need. He's awesome. He's so happy in who he is. He doesn't need anything except, except, except I can bring him my enjoyment of him. So guys, in this beauty, when you come next Sunday, this should, on your checklist, okay, I'm going to church. What do I got to do? Enjoy God. Now you might not be there at song one. Sometimes people, we have a rough week. We might not get there at song two. Some Sundays you got to worship for 20 songs. I, I've, been, I've been there. But here's what you say. God, help me to love you with the passion and joy that you are worthy of. Because I know I've had a rough week. I know I'm dealing with this or that. But God, you transcend it all. And you have zero needs. And you are so excited that I'm here just to tell you that in spite of all that's going on in my life, I enjoy you. That's called waiting on God. And God says, I will begin to work on behalf of those who will wait on me, love me, enjoy me, trust me, pray to me, worship me. I'll work on their behalf. That should get us really excited. Or else, or else you can try to go figure it out yourself. You can try to fix things yourself. You can try to paper things yourself. Or you can learn the secret of simply enjoying God. Everything he gives us overflows from his greatness because he doesn't need anything. He has so much he freely gives us out of the overflow of who he is because he's so stinking awesome. That's God. The Bible says, Mark 10, 45. This is where I gave you that little preview on Jesus. For even the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, did not come expecting to be served by everyone but to serve everyone and to give his life as the ransom price in exchange for the salvation of many. Jesus turned the whole leadership paradigm upside down. This is the way we look at it. If someone's asking this, hey, can you serve in this area or can you do this or that? We think we've been asked to do something menial, something inconsequential. But Jesus taught us something about service. Check this out. Jesus said the one serving is actually serving from a position of strength because the one serving is taking what they've received and out of the overflow of what they've received, they're giving it to somebody else to meet the need that's in somebody else's life. Who's the greater one, the one serving or the one receiving? The servant, which is why, never put God in the position where you're working for him because you've just robbed him of his glory. Always put God in the position of the one serving, we're the one receiving. Because the one giving and serving is the one re- that's getting the glory. Is this making sense? Yeah, come on, so when someone asks you, hey, we have a need in this area. You know why we have a need? Because we're human. And we don't have all the gifts. That's why God made you and why God made me. We meet the needs of other people. Whenever we're serving, it is an, it is an opportunity to demonstrate the greatness of God through us. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said, I didn't come to have anybody serve me. I came to serve everybody. You know what he's saying? My greatness is so unique. 
I have the ability to meet the needs of everyone, everywhere, at all times. That's how awesome Jesus is. What did Jesus do on the night before he was betrayed, right? They had a little dinner together, and what did he do? He got down and he starts washing people's feet. He was demonstrating his glory. He wasn't demonstrating his weakness. He was demonstrating his strength. This is amazing. Fast forward the tape. When we get to Revelation, and it says there's going to be a marriage supper of the Lamb, and Jesus invites us all to the party. You know what Jesus is doing? This is what we would think he's doing. We get this big old crown and big old throne, and we set him at the head of the table, and we're all going to be running around like Martha, right? We're going to be serving Jesus, and we're going to be, hey, would you like a second helping? And you know what the Bible says? This is stunning. Picture yourself around this table. We're having this massive church dinner, potluck, whatever. I don't know. Maybe Brian's cooking. I don't know who's cooking, but it's going to be awesome. And, uh, and here's what the Bible says about Jesus. He has a towel wrapped around his arm, waist, whatever, and he is serving all of those in attendance at the banquet feast. The Son of God in his moment of glory with a party thrown in his honor, and what is he doing? He's serving us. Can you imagine what would happen if we really got this? I mean, like loving one another, serving one another, laying our lives down, because we would realize we're doing it out of the strength that God is providing, and as we're doing this, we're acting like God himself. And as we can meet the needs of other people, we're demonstrating our strength in God, not our weakness and insignificance. Turns everything upside down. Jesus said, I'm not looking for anything. I I came to give my life away to all y'all. I'm not looking for anything. I'm coming to serve. That's the heart of the gospel, a willingness to love. I love this verse. I'm getting ahead of myself again. Point number three. You guys are talking way too much this morning. God's gifts are expressions of his grace, his grace. This is the overflowing river that's coming from God. Ephesians chapter 2 says we're going to spend all of eternity gazing upon this man Christ Jesus and the river of mercy that's been flowing out of his life. It's incredible. Romans 12, 6. God, in his grace, everybody say grace. God has given us different gifts. Hallelujah. Where do the gifts come from? Grace. Look at Ephesians 2, 8. We preached on this on Easter. God saved you. Why? By his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. Why are all of you that love Jesus in this place today? Because God gave you a gift on the basis of grace. Not that you earned it, not that you're so smart, not that you filled out a card. He gave you salvation. He gave you it on the basis of grace. It's a gift so that we can't boast. Look at this next verse. 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Why do you have, or I'm sorry, what do you have that God hasn't given to you? And if everything, everybody say everything. Everything you have is from who? God. Why boast as though it were not a gift? How many of you really believe that everything you have is from God? So no pastor, hey, I worked doubles, I worked really hard, I went to school. and yeah. Where'd your breath come from? Oh yeah, that was borrowed, wasn't it? Where'd all your provision actually come from? From whose hand? Where'd your life come from? Where'd the idea of you come from? Now, let's get messy here. So you're saying everything belongs to God. Does your house belong to God? Your Tupperware. Now I'm going to really mess with you. Your dog. I know I'm messing with some of you now. Not my dog, yeah. Your 501K. Everything that you have, your job, your spouse, your kids. Everything is a gift. Now let me ask you this question. If everything in your life is a gift, what is the, we teach our kids this. When grandma gives you that gift, make sure you say, thank you. The Christian life's not hard. Enjoy God. Say thank you a lot. Enjoy God. Say thank you a lot. Because everything you have is a gift. You wouldn't be who you are, where you are, what you have, none of it without God. We have to hold it onto it loosely. And, you know, I've told, told my kids, it's part of the joy. You know, every one of my kids, part of somebody say, how do you guys have eight kids? Well, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> curiosity. 
we had one awesome kid, and we're like, this kid's really awesome. I wonder what the next one would be like. They'll be just as awesome. <laughs> They're just as awesome. Well, isn't that amazing? I wonder what the third one would look. Wow, this is incredible. And before you know it, we just, we just got on a roll, all right? <laughs> and eight kids, I'll tell you this, there's not a two of them alike. Every one of them is uniquely special and gifted, and I'll say that about each one of you. There's not a two of us alike. Every one of us is absolutely unique and special. And so this is what I told our kids. Find out who you are. Find out how God has gifted you because your gifting is part of your joy and fulfillment in life is figuring out who you are, right, and then running on that track. Now, a lot of my kids have been fast. And, you know, they come home and they got this stack of these blue ribbons because they're fast. And I remind them, isn't that great? A nice stack of blue ribbons because I was not fast. And I say, hey, how'd you get to be fast? It's called a gift. There are people that are fast, and there are people that are shot put throwers, all right? (laughs) The fast people run fast. If you're not fast, don't try to run fast. Throw a shot put or do something else. Find, Find your strength. Come on, Dan, you're with me over there. Some guys, some guys that throw shot puts, if you're a skinny, fast guy, don't try to throw a shot put. You can't even lift a thing. But Dan can throw a shot put. In other words, stay in your lane, people, and don't, don't want the, the, covet the gifts other people have. But how about this? How about realize if you're fast, run for the glory of God. If you're athletic, play for the glory of God. If you're singing, sing for the glory of God. If you're good at whatever, and we're going to talk about a myriad of gifts, do it for the glory of God, but never think that it's you or that it's for you. You know, I see these athletes. You know, we just had the NFL draft, right? For all you non-football people, you're like, what? Anyway, let me just tell you. They always interview the top round, and one guy didn't get picked as high as he thought he should have, and he said, Man, I'm a, I got a chip on my shoulder. This, I, I just sat there going, dude, you have been blessed with athleticism off the chart, and you did not earn one bit of it. It is a gift from God. You just got drafted to play a game for fun for your career and make gazillions of dollars, and you got a chip on your shoulder? Dude, what is the matter with you? I'll tell you what's the matter. It's about my ego. So I wanted to be drafted five instead of eight. Third world problems, right? We, we don't have these problems. First world problems. We don't have these problems. The, t- the normal person in this room is never going to have that. But I'll tell you what, when you focus on your gift instead of the one who gave it to you, you get messed up in a hurry. Every single thing we have is from God. So we give it back to him. Let me quickly close with this. God is more awesome than his gifts. You know, this is where I'm going to talk about my man, Kenny. All right, Kenny. God is not synonymous with his gifts. But when God gives a gift and we receive the gift, the gift should take us back to the person who gave it to us. You with me? Mm-hmm. Now, Kenny and I have, were both follically challenged. You with me? And, uh, and I was cutting my, cutting my hair. I started using a blade. And I, it was a messy process. I mean, blood everywhere. It was not good. And Kenny, one Sunday, blessed me with this bright yellow razor that bald guys use to shave their... Kenny said, isn't this a nice head, by the way? Just look at that. Shiny, and I won't touch it, but it's, it's beautiful. So, so here's the deal. Every morning, every morning, I, and Kenny told me too, he goes, you can, cut, you can shave your head while you're driving to work. Well, I got a short drive, so I can't do that. But, but Kenny was driving, you know, he'd be driving to work. And, uh, and so he bought me this razor. Every morning, looking in the mirror... And you know what? You know what I'm thinking about? Kenny. That's how I start my day. You know why I'm thinking about Kenny? Because I'm holding in my hand this bright yellow razor that Kenny loved and Kenny bought me. And so every morning I'm going, Lord bless Kenny. Hallelujah. And, and some mornings I'll even text him because I'm like, Kenny, I'm thinking about you right now, dude. And I just got done cutting my hair and I'm thinking about you. Because the gift takes me back to the giver. Now here, here's two extremes you guys got to watch. Of course, we don't want to worship the gift more than the giver. So say Kenny gives me a gift, and I'm like, a razor? No! And I throw it as far as I can out in the field. I don't want that gift, brother, to come between my relationship with you. I want our friendship to be pure, dude. No, that would be stupid. Go out and run out in the field and get the razor back because you overreacted. 
The gift is precious. There's things that we have in our life that are precious, but check this out. It's precious because it's attached to somebody who loves us. Do you guys have people in your family who are really good gift givers? They, they give thoughtful gifts. That gets harder and harder. But you know, I'm like, you open it up and you're like, how did you know? And it's all the more special because they thought about who they were giving it to. It's not like we're giving you this wonderful recipe that we cook that everybody hates every year, but we got one for you because it's Christmas. No, that's not it. You open it up and you go, wow, how did you know that was what I like? And you know, how I many know it takes work to be a good gift giver? This is what I want you to see. The gifts that God's given to you were given to you on purpose with design out of the thoughtfulness of God because your life's not an accident and the gifts that he's given you are not an accident. Now let me give you another illustration. Is anybody in this room currently engaged to be married but you're not married yet but you got the ring? Don't be shy. I'm not going to have you come over. Ah. Tim and Samantha. Oh, this is so good. So you gave her a ring? I want to see it. Show, show it off, Samantha. Wow. Wow. You must really love her. That is amazing. That is beautiful. Okay, so check this out. They threw a party. It's an engagement party, and Samantha's all excited. She's got her ring, and she spends the whole time walking around. Look at my ring. And I'll, oh, that is so beautiful. And then she goes, hey, look at my ring. Just like the guys do, right? Oh, that is amazing. And let's say she walks around like the whole time. And Tim is over in the corner, like eating carrots and stuff, you know? (laughs) Carrots and, you know, whatever dip. And she's making all this big deal about this ring while he's standing in the corner. How many of you know, we got a problem here? Because the whole purpose of the ring was to attach me with this woman right here. And what she's saying is, when she's, hey, I'm going to put you on the spot because you're used to it. All right, get up. But when she's walking around showing the ring off, Mr. Studmuffin is attached to the other arm because the ring goes, because what she's most excited, I keep that again. All right. What she's most excited about is not the ring. The ring is a picture of my devotion for her. See, the ring goes right up her arm, right through this arm, right on this arm. And she looks at me and she goes, That's why I'm so excited, because I'm the giver of the ring, and because the ring is just a token that says, you're mine, I love you, and she's excited about that. Come on. You see how this works? Come on. So in the church, we have people like, I'm leaving that church. They just didn't appreciate my gift. Seriously? Yeah, pastor, they're just in appreciate my incredible anointed singing ability, so I'm leaving and going to a church that appreciates the gift of God in me. Please go to another church and <laughs> unleash the gift of God in you. Are you nuts? Where's that stuff come from? Jockeying for position. Well, I sing better than her. I thought God distributes these gifts. Why are you comparing yourself with her? God gave her a gift. God gave you a gift. Why are you looking at her gift? Why don't you look at your gift? I mean, we get, we get so screwed up in our churches. Everybody wants a title. Everybody wants a job. Everybody, everybody wants a platform. I had a lady one time, pastor, she came up during worship, pastor, I feel like I'm supposed to dance before the Lord. I said, great. Just don't draw attention to yourself because worship, we're not here singing to you. So don't draw attention to yourself. She said, no, no, no. I feel like the Lord wants me to go on the stage and dance. And that when I dance, the presence of God is going to fall. I'm not making this stuff up. And I said, no. That's not going to happen. Because the focus isn't you. And the focus isn't on your dance. That something magical is going to happen when you dance. Just worship God and love God and let God work his way through you. He don't, you don't have to make this stuff happen. God does this. I'll read one more passage to you because this is the one that game changer. Last passage. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Even though the fig trees have no blossoms. Anybody been there? 
There are no grapes on the vines. The olive crop just failed. That means economically things are not going. My business isn't strong. Maybe we take a hit. The fields lie empty and barren. Even though the flocks die in the fields, the cattle barns are empty. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. What's taking place here? This is what's going on. The gifts of God do not mess with my enjoyment of God. The giver is central. The gifts will come and go. How many of you know you'll go through hard times in life? This is not heaven. You will go through hard times in life. You'll go through times where you have an abundance, and you'll go through times where things are tight. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You'll go through times when you're in great health, and you'll go through times when you need surgery or something, and, you, and, and you're not in good health. You'll go through times when you got the joy of the Lord, and you'll go through times when you're fighting a spirit of depression. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And I'm just telling you this. I'm telling you this. If you will keep your eyes on the giver, and you will rejoice in the Lord. Re means again. Joyce is talking about joy. It means you're going to rejoy yourself. You're going to find pleasure in God again. You're going to express your devotion to God again. You're saying, God, things are not going good now, but my confidence is in you, Lord. I am waiting on you. And God says, thank you. I'm now going to work on your behalf. Some of you need to get this today. God is a giver of breakthrough. God's a giver of relational breakthrough. God's the one that brings stray kids back to him. God gives the gift of salvation to the hard-hearted, the stubborn, the rebellious. God sets the drug addict free. God sets the alcoholic free. God does these things. God works on behalf of people who will just enjoy him and then let God work through us to bless other people. This is really fun. And I'm just trying to establish this today so that we keep our eyes on the giver and we don't get enamored with the gifts. There's some amazing gifts sitting right out here. Amazing gifts. And I believe God's going to release gifts. I believe God's going to sharpen your gifts. God's going to help you see who you are. We're going to go as a church to a whole new level of serving and loving people. But it it's, it'll never, the water level will never rise higher than our passion for the giver himself. So can you stand to your feet with me today? And, you know, I love that artwork for, for that picture, for the series, because what that says to me is this is the posture of waiting. And with the light coming down, that says to me in that picture symbolically, this is what was in my heart, that the supernatural God is a giver of supernatural gifts to his people to enable us to release his power and love through us to bless other people. That's what the gifts of God are for. So lift your hands with me if you're comfortable to do that this morning. And you know the palms of that man are open because he's wide open to the Lord. He's not holding on to a thing. Lord, we confess that uh, you own it all. Everything we have is a gift. We give ourselves, we give our stuff, we give everything to you, Lord. And Father, we're asking that in the, as we move through this series, Lord, that you, by the power of your Spirit, would come in our midst and continue to distribute gifts to your people. Why do you do this? Because you're an overflowing Father, and you cannot keep your goodness to yourself. Because there's so much of you, you cannot be contained. You've got to give it away. So, Lord, fill us to overflowing because we want to love people the way you love people. And, Lord, we're wide open. Whatever you want to do in us, whatever gifts you want to stir up in us, help us to see us for who we are and then help us to enjoy you and to love others. We pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.